let me, uh, let me introduce myself a little more fully before we begin. Uh, my name is John Peter Smith. Most of the world knows me as JP. And I am the Regional Minister for Congregational Health for the Synod of Central Northeastern Ontario and Bermuda. And the Synod uh, that, that I serve, and, and some of you will have recently met our other Regional Minister, the Regional Minister for Faith Formation, uh, who happens to be my wife, Tori. The Synod goes from Waterloo on the west to Gananoque in the east, from Sault Ste. Marie to Campus Casing, uh, and indeed Bermuda although bizarrely I end up in Bermuda in August and Capus Casing in February and there's just something wrong with that. It's the largest synod in the denomination, not by size, but by the number of congregations. It's about 30% of the congregations in the country are in this synod and about 40% of the Presbyterians. And, and between the two of us, we are a resource to the synod, to sessions, to congregations, uh, to presbyteries, to ministers, to committees, to whomever. Uh, I don't, neither one of us serve a church. Actually, interestingly, the church that we attend is Morningside High Park Presbyterian, where Janet Ruchan is the minister who, did, who wrote the call to worship uh, for today. Um, I can proudly say my daughter is an elder there, so we kind of have to attend. But, um, but within the synod, we, as, as I said, we are available to support congregations, to support presbyteries in their ministry, uh, which is in part why I'm here today, because this congregation has re recently embarked on the natural church development process, and, and I will be uh, coming alongside as an interpreter and, and perhaps assisting and facilitating, facilitating uh, some of the results from that survey. But I, I wanted to start with that partly to say, okay, you know, who is this guy and why is he here? And doubly so, why is he here when Lawrence is here? But, but secondly, to say thank you, because it is your generous support of Presbyterian sharing and synod dues that makes our work possible. And, and sometimes we wonder, where, did, where does that money go? And, and we are part of that answer. And we, we are at a time in our denomination where well, let's be honest, where we're, we're kind of fractured in many of the conversations that we're having. And, and I think there are those who say, well, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it doesn't matter that we're a connected church anymore. And I would suggest to you that it matters now more than ever to be one holy and apostolic, to be able to give that witness to the world that says, even when we disagree. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the measure of a church is not how we agree. Anybody can do that. But how do we disagree? And, and to go the step further and to say that while this is a congregation that has abundant resources, or at least more abundant resources, that there are many congregations that are genuinely struggling. And, and for them to know that, that we can come, to, that we can come alongside, and to know that they won't get a bill for that any more than you will get a bill for that because that bill has already been paid is truly a blessing and a joy. I'm doubly glad to be here. I was, I was saying this in the early service. I, I, I think it was 1978 that I was here as a part of a Presbyterian Young People's Society convention. And I may, have, I may have finally donated the picture to the archives. It kind of sucks when you're in a picture that deserves, is old enough to be in the archives. But, but a picture of probably 250 of us sitting out front um, on that weekend was, was quite a special time. And I'm also blessed to be here because of Lawrence and Janet, because of, of their 
blessing in our lives for more than 35 years, but also their blessing to the church. Uh, Lawrence in his teaching, Lawrence in, in uh, writing for the record in so many ways. But I have to just quickly say, and Janet, who has been helping us in our presbytery more than you can possibly imagine. She does a lot of preaching. Uh, she does a lot of that in our presbytery. She happens to be in one congregation that is going through a particular manure storm right now, and I know how much, and I genuinely know how much they appreciate having her. So thank you. Thank you, not just for your ministers, but for your willingness to share. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you and we praise you and we bless you for your word, a word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, as we come to your word, we pray that you would bless this word, bless it to illumine our hearts, our minds, our very soul, so that we might know and do your will through Jesus our Savior. Amen. It's, it's very easy and, and a little bit glib to, to preach that God's word is a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I, I wish that it was always the case. But in many ways, I think as we get closer to Easter, as we get closer to the cross, the stories sometimes get a little bit more perplexing. And, and let's be honest, Easter itself, the, the Gethsemane itself, is perplexing, it's confusing. You know, Christmas is mostly easy. Okay, a little bit odd, you would think maybe God would entrust somebody like Jesus to somebody who didn't need to stay in a stable, but the story is still pretty straightforward. But, but here we find ourselves coming to the cross and, and that the horror and the ugliness of the cross has something to do with the joy of our salvation. Uh, Lawrence was, was telling in the children's time, you know, that the, the, the coin that he has that says, you know, take up your cross daily and follow me, and, and that somehow there is joy for us, that somehow there is fulfillment for us that comes from, from not just getting what we want, but indeed from picking up this cross. And today's story is, is no exception. Today's scripture, today's gospel is no exception. And it's, it, but it's, it's one that that kind of goes in a whole perplexing run. I was, you know, one of the things when I, I as Lawrence does, I preach from the lectionary, and, and so I, I looked at the lectionary passage, and then I thought, well, I'm going to read what happens before, and I'm going to read what happens after. And, and in the chapters before, it's, it's the bizarrest stories, because on the one hand, we have, you know, this very, very familiar story of, of um, Consider the Lilies, Right? Why do you worry and toil? You know, are, are, do, are not, do not two sparrows cost a penny, and you are worth more than many sparrows? And, and just that whole beautiful pastoral story, and probably 20 verses later, it says, but be on guard because, you know, the, the God is coming again to judge, and, and if the master knew what when the thief broke in, he would have been ready, so be ready. And, and elsewhere in the chapter, it says, you know, I did not come to bring peace, but to bring the sword. And it's like, Jesus, just pick one. Yeah, I don't care which one. You're like, either don't worry or come in judgment, but I can't do both, right? Like, if, if you know, maybe you can, but, but if, if you're coming in judgment and I don't know when, I'm going to worry. 
you ever hear the story of the, the seminarian that was just graduating and, you know, just finally graduated and is just about to leave the seminary for the last time and, and, and oh, just thinks of one more thing, goes, goes back to her professor, says, Professor, just one more question, just, just one. If Jesus comes again while I'm ministering, what am I supposed to do? And the professor thinks for a minute and says, look busy. Just pick one. Just pick one. And in the Old Testament, we, we get God saying through Isaiah to the people, your, your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. Your thoughts are, are, my thoughts are greater than your thoughts, says the Lord. And, and with that, that knowledge in mind, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, um, remember that story, remember that story about Pilate slaughtering those worshipers in the temple? Their blood was mixed with their sacrifice. Does, does that make them worse? Like, like did, was it their fault? And I'm, I'm going to say right now that, that the problem that we have here, that the, the theological term is theodicy, and, and it's why do bad things happen to good people? And why is it that God allows pain in the world? And why is it that God allows evil in the world? And why is it that God allows hurt in the world? And, and I'm going to say, I don't know. You know, this has vexed theologians for, for centuries and will continue to vex them. And, and, and that's way above my pay scale to try and solve that. And I, I think it's a, on the one hand, I think it's a rabbit hole that is not very helpful for us um, to, to, to go down today, in part, in part because Jesus actually gives the answer, right? They say, you know, was it because of their sin? And Jesus' answer is no. I mean, it's absolutely, unequivocally, no. And, and it's, but it's an, interesting, it's an interesting thing to ponder for just a minute because, because certainly in those days, there was, it was very clear, right? Good things happen to good people and, and bad things happen to bad people. And, and there's a sophistication in Jesus' message that says, no, sometimes bad things happen to good people and, and, and good things happen to bad people. It, the world is just much more complicated than that. And, and, and we know that. You know, in fact, Jesus goes on to, to use another example. And interestingly, the first example involves volition, which is to say Pilate came in, apparently came into the temple and, and killed these worshipers while they were worshiping. The second one is much more of an accident. I mean, okay, building codes, sure. But, you know, did you hear about the 18 that were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on their heads? And, and it's much easier for them and for us to understand that manure happens. You know, that sometimes accidents happen. And so to say, Master, you know, that bus in Humboldt that had the hockey players, were they killed because, and of course Jesus' answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Accidents happen. 
At the same time, I, I think that it's worth us at least pondering the times that we might buy into it. Master, did you hear about those Muslims whose blood was mingled with their worship in Christchurch? And, and, and we would say, of course, no, that wasn't because they were worse. Except that there are those in our world who would say, maybe. You know, maybe because they're Muslim, that somehow they deserve that more. That maybe because their faith, like our faith, had a radical wing, theirs is just more obvious that, that you're known, I don't know. You know, I was thinking about the, the, the times and the places in our lives where, where we do actually think that people deserve, I don't know, is that the right word? Poverty is, is one of them. I mean, public policy in, in many countries, including our own, is based on the premise that, poor, that it's people's fault that they're poor. Well, that's really not, not very different than was it their fault at the Tower of Siloam? We have a, we have a fellow at our church, and long story short, I, I've assumed some pastoral responsibility for him, and, and so we were out for dinner um, just this week. And, and a year ago, um, he was married, and, and he had a two-bedroom apartment, and, you know, I would absolutely classify them as working poor, um, but then he went off his meds. And, and now his marriage is over, and he lives in a boarding house, and he can't pull himself out. And as we kind of track that process, you know, he made lots of stupid decisions, don't get me wrong. But is it his fault? I'm not sure that I can go that road. And certainly, we have to be careful to go that road because Jesus absolutely didn't. Jesus says, no, no, it was not that they were worse people. No, they are not responsible for their own lives. No, he says, but then he says something interesting, and it seems really, really crass to me. He says, but you're going to die too, so repent. Right? You're, you're you know, but, but you're going to die, so repent. And, and that's, yes, it's true, Seems to me like the most crass response ever, right? You know, the terrible, terrible accident in Humboldt, but you're going to die too, so repent. Like, what a, can't you be just a little bit more pastoral? And I think at this moment, while we may disagree with the bluntness of Jesus' words, we do at least need to determine the difference between causality and opportunity. Causality says, you did something bad, therefore something bad is going to happen to you. And, and we really wish that we lived in a world like that. And by the way, Facebook is that world. 
right? YouTube is that world, epic fails, you know, hashtag epic fail. That's the world that says good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And by the way, one of our great temptations is to think that because good things happen to us, therefore we are good, which is a whole other sermon. You can do that one. Jesus isn't saying this caused that. But what Jesus is saying is don't lose the opportunity to learn from it. In all of our lives, don't don't lose the opportunity to learn from it. Even when it's inexplicable, even when it's painful beyond our imagining, even when it is horrible beyond our ability to express, learn from it. Uh, at the 9 o'clock service, Lawrence was, was praying, and he was, he, was, he was acknowledging in his prayers the, the horrible deaths in Christchurch in New Zealand. And he was reminding us that our call as Christians is to stand in solidarity and to work for peace and to work for love. It didn't happen for that to happen, But if it had to happen, at least let's learn from it. You know, if if, if people that we love die, if, if tragedy happens, if mental illness or whatever, that's not why it happened. But if, for goodness sakes, if, if we don't at least learn from it, then it's completely gone to waste. But that's not really what I wanted to talk about this morning. What I really want to talk about is this bizarre, bizarre answer. No, it didn't happen, but repent because you're going to die anyway. Like, what a great pastoral. That would be good on a mug, right? You're going to die anyway, so repent. Or put that one on a Christian t-shirt. Well, manure happens. Because as the story continues... Jesus then tells a parable. And it's, it's the parable of the fig tree, and it's about this, this you know, the fig tree that, that isn't growing, it isn't bearing fruit. We could call it the parable of my entire garden. And, and the master comes along and says, cut down that fig tree. It's, it's wasting soil, it's wasting water, it's wasting air, just get rid of it. Now, if this parable had anything to do with the two stories leading up to it, right? Because think about it, first story, uh, slaughter in the temple, you know, did there anything to do with it? No, but repent, because you're going to die. Number two, Tower of Siloam falls on their head, kills 18 people, no, but repent, because you're going to die. The logical outcome of the parable should be that they cut down the fig tree. They should cut down the fig tree, and then Jesus should turn to the people and say, See, I told you, if you don't bear fruit, you're going to die. But he doesn't. He doesn't. The gardener says to the master, let me, let me fertilize it for one more year. Let me, let me dig a ditch around it and water it and, and add manure and and, and, you know, if, if it hasn't happened in another year, sure. But, but in the meantime, let's give one more chance. The nature of that one more chance is, is in many ways given to us in Isaiah, where, where we read about, you know, food that satisfies as opposed to 
to food that doesn't satisfy, where we read about uh, God's just unending and, and unbelievable and undeserved love. It's, it's that one more year of investment <laughs> that brings us to the cross. To brings us to, on the one hand, this reality that, yes, we are all going to die and that repenting makes good sense because we don't know when. That the, the story brings us to the absolute horror of the cross. that says without that unspeakable act, all have sinned and fallen short of the grace of God. But at the same time, it is the story of a gardener that says, I am willing to invest in, I am willing to fertilize, I am willing to to continue to be active in your life, in my life, in our lives. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Repent. It's later than you think. Repent. We're all going to die. But in the meantime, in the meantime, let me continue to intercede. Let me continue to nurture. Let me continue to work in your life. It's almost like you want to say, pick one, you know, either judgment or mercy, like just pick one. But the reality is, is that much as fulfillment is found in picking up our cross, salvation is found in those two things together. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Manure happens. Thanks be to God. Amen. And to you, O Lord, to you who remind us that that our lives are uncertain, that our world is uncertain, that, that today is the day of our salvation. To you who reaches out to us and nurtures us and fertilizes us, and cares for us. To you be the praise, the glory, and the honor, world without end. Amen.